0: Thanks for joining us for today's message. We're always encouraged to hear how God is using Adventure Church to speak into your life. If you have a story you'd like to share, please do so on adventure.church. Also, if you'd like to support Adventure Church financially, you can do so by giving online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each and every week. Today's message is from our series called Forgotten God in which we are overcoming the fears and frustrations that often distract us from discovering the purpose and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, let's prepare our hearts to hear a word from God. Uh, We're in week two of our Forgotten God sermon series. We're talking about the Holy Spirit, and I want to dive right into the Word of God. I want to set us up for the conversation that we're going to have today. Don't worry, I'll do all of the talking. Uh, We're going to Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 24. It starts out this way. It says, But the believers were scattered, preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, one of them, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miracles, miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Pause right there. Let's get a little bit of background. Last weekend, Pastor Kyle um, talked from uh, Acts 1 and and how Jesus had just beaten a death in the grave, and he was talking with his disciples in post-resurrection form. He's about to head back to heaven, and he's challenging his disciples, and he says, hey, listen, stay put. He says, stay in Jerusalem, don't go anywhere, don't try to do anything. I want you to wait until the gift that I've been talking about is given to you and that gift is the Holy Spirit. And so they waited around and then they received the Holy Spirit and therefore were empowered to go And follow the highest calling that all of us have now, which is to preach the gospel, to tell others the good news. And so that's what they've been doing for the last seven chapters. They've been going into the world, preaching the gospel. But just as soon as the gospel is preached, what we find just verses earlier is that persecution and opposition rises up to meet it. In this verse, it says that the believers that were scattered, they were scattered because there was an immense persecution that was going on, namely by a guy named Saul. Saul was going around, it says that he was literally pulling men and women out of their homes, throwing them into prison. Just a chapter earlier, we had the martyrdom of Stephen, one of the earliest martyrs after Jesus beat death and the cross. And so this great opposition rises up and they begin to scatter. But how many of you know that God has a long history of leveraging opposition and oppression for his glory and our good? He's got such a long history of this that when we think that our faith is actually being spread thin, in reality, he is scattering it out as if it is seed to a field so that more faith, more wisdom, more maturity, more strength can take birth. Can I get an amen? That sounds good. He's got such a long history of that. And what's interesting is that the guy named Saul, who's been doing all of this, just a chapter later is going to get his name changed. Because he's going to find himself on the path of Damascus, on his way to do more destruction. But his name changes because he comes face to face with the risen Messiah, Jesus. And you probably also know that when you fa- come face to face with Jesus, Everything changes. And Saul, who once a, an enemy to the gospel, becomes one of the greatest leaders of our faith and ends up writing almost half of the New Testament. God has a history of leveraging your opposition to grow you, and he also can work with whatever past you have. Amen. Thank you, God. Back to the text. Verse 9, we meet a new man. His name is Simon, and he had been a sorcerer there for many years. Amazing, the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God, the wonderful wizard of Oz. Wait, that's a different text. I'm sorry. They listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. But now the people who believed Philip's message of the good news concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ and as a result, many, many men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself, Believed and was baptized, he began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. When the apostles, who were still back in Jerusalem, heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John, two people who had walked, talked, ate, and did a life with Jesus. They send these guys out, and as soon as Peter and John arrived, they prayed for the new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon the believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon the sorcerer saw the Spirit was given, when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he explained, so that I too can lay my hands on people, and they will receive the Holy Spirit Peter looks over at him, gives him a nice rebuke. May your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You have no part of this, for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts, for I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. Simon replies, pray to the Lord for me that these terrible things you said won't happen to me. Can we pray one more time as we get into the word? Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you're present. Thank you, God, that we have your word, that we get to look to. And we approach your word today, God, not trying to make sense of something, but God, just trying to see more of it, trying to see more of who you are, Lord. Would you bring us more clarity today, God? We want a closer relationship with you. We want to know you better, God. We pray this in your name, and everyone said, Amen. How many uh, married folks do we have? Show of hands. Married folks in a relationship of any sort, boyfriend, girlfriend, okay, single people, this is your opportunity to scan the field, right? I was wondering what her situation was, okay. I was thinking about it this last week, and I was wondering what it would look like if I were to ask one of our married spouses to come up here and tell me all about their relationship and what it must be like to be in love with the person that they're in love with, Don't worry, I'm not gonna do that, okay? All right, so all my glossophobic people can just rest assured I'm not gonna go there, okay? And yes, I just use the word glossophobic, okay? It means fear of public speaking, all right? This is a common tactic of pastors, all right? Throw in a couple words that nobody understands and all of a sudden you're qualified, right? (laughs) Glossophobic. So we're not gonna do that, but, but humor me if you would. Humor me if you would. Let's imagine that I had you come up, take a seat, And you began to tell me in depth about the person that you are in love with. If you're a married man, you would get up here and maybe you would start by just describing the countenance of your wife, how beautiful she is to you, how every time she walks into the room, your heart still flutters. If you're a married woman, you would talk about what your husband looked like 15 years ago because you're merciful and generous. And I'd nod my head and I'd say, okay, this is getting awkward, please move on. And so then you'd move on and you'd talk about how they just support you, how they challenge you, how they just are the wind in your sails, how you love just being with them, that you can spend hours and hours and hours and never speak a word, husbands, don't comment. And you'd go on and on, and by now you are at the edge of your seat, just telling me, man, it is incredible to be in love with Bay. And I know I just lost everybody over the age of like fifteen to twenty. There, okay, Generation Zers. Bay before anything else, okay. Feel free to use it. And you give me this big description, and you're just you're, you're showing so much passion. It's just like, oh man, you know, yeah, marriage is hard, but man, we've got this relationship, and I just she gets me, you know, and I, I get her, and and it's just oh, it's incredible. And I would respond, cool, sounds nice, great. After pouring your heart out, my response would be very simple and, and although very happy for you, I would remain unmoved and very disconnected. Why? Because you are speaking out of personal experience of which I have, have none. And so I can admire you and your relationship to, to get on the same page just by way of description. It's just not gonna happen. I, I kind of found myself in that place with, with this today as we talk about the Holy Spirit all week, I was wrestling with this. How do, I, how do I explain the Holy Spirit? You know, like, how do I, I, so that they'll get it, you know, so that they'll know, so that, you know, you'll start to work in their lives, and, and, and every analogy just left me at a dead end as I'm trying to describe what a limitless, all-powerful person is like. Isn't it funny how we use that comparison to, for things? It's like this, you know. Dewey's Dewey's pizza is like a cross between Papa John's and Tyranno's. It's delicious, okay? But we use it on far more serious comparisons, and while shedding some light to the authenticity of it, so many times we short it and totally discount it. We do this with the Holy Spirit. There's some kind of interesting analogies for the Holy Spirit. Uh, One is that of, um, it says that the Holy Spirit is like the chocolate syrup that enters into a glass of milk, although present It is not prominent until it's stirred up. (laughs) How about this one? Walking in step with the Holy Spirit is like a dance. It is not so important that you know all the steps or the choreography, but that you just keep your eyes fixed on your dance partner. Like, okay, all right. And although I think that these are actually pretty, like, I was reading, I was like, that's pretty effective in describing the ways of the Holy Spirit. But I can't help but wonder if God is hearing this and he's like, so chocolate milk and the waltz, that's how you've got me pegged. That's it? Okay. How funny, we like to try to figure out an analogy for huge, huge concepts and beings. And so today, my aim is not so much to describe to you in full length who the Holy Spirit is, And how he works and go through and say, you know, this is what the Holy Spirit does, A, B, C, and D. This is how you can interpret this. This is how you can interpret that. Because at the end of the day, you would still walk out of here totally discontent and wanting more. And so today, I want to talk about not so much who the Holy Spirit is, but how we need to approach him. How many of you know that it's it's pretty important to have the right approach to something that you want to be successful in, right? Right? Whether it's a new relationship that you're in, a business venture, marriage, raising kids. I'm sure we've all experienced what it's like to have the wrong approach. We've learned our lessons. Uh, I can't help but think uh, about one of my first girlfriends, Nicole Flynn, second grade. She had a horrible approach to relationships. She just did. Things were going fine. We, We started dating, which meant that we would, you know, look at each other before class and you know, and then look at each other after class, sm- awkwardly smile, and then walk away, and oh my gosh, I like her so much. But she had, she had the wrong approach because one, one time we went on this this field trip. We went out to a place called Discovery World, think COSI, and there in the middle of this mirror exhibit in which I, I still remember this, like you had to step up on this this like little step stool, and all around you were mirrors in order to like show you so many different dimensions of yourself. And there amidst the mirrors, she landed a kiss on me. Yeah. And I kind of liked it, okay, I'm not going to lie. Moving a little too fast, I thought, for a second grader, but whatever. (laughs) But then she went and told all of her friends, and that was a no-go. I was a man of privacy, and so I cut that relationship off right then and there. We never talked again. It was super awkward when we would play chess during recess. Yes, I played chess during recess, okay, And now that I think of it, I don't know if I even disclosed this relationship to my fiance Jackie. So it was completely one-sided. All right, I barely liked her. We've got to have the right approach. I want to talk about the impact of our approach. As we dive back into the scriptures, we see here in verse 4 of Acts chapter 8 that Philip, one of the believers that has been empowered by the Holy Spirit, has made his way out to Samaria, and he is doing some miraculous stuff. He's casting out demons He's healing people left and right, lame and paralyzed alike. He is healing them all, but even more importantly, Philip is talking and spreading a message about an internal healing, an internal and an eternal healing by way of Jesus Christ. He's telling them the good news that Jesus came, God sent his son, he died for you, he rose from the grave. You can have right relationship with you. But just at the same time that Philip's ministry is beginning to grow. We, we read in verse 9 about another guy named Simon. Simon was a sorcerer. And in a very, very real way, Simon had great power. He was doing things, he was doing signs and wonders, probably much like what Philip was doing, and he too had a, a great following. And I know it's kind of hard for us to, to connect with that, in 21st century, we don't have a whole lot of you know, sorcerers that are just blatantly like you know doing crazy stuff in front of us. So, so let me just point out two things about Simon that hopefully make it a little bit more relevant. Simon was a man of great power. Simon was a man of great influence. Simon was doing things that no one could comprehend, that they just couldn't wrap their mind around it. How is he doing these things? Power, and secondly, influence. People were following him. They were calling him the great one, the power of God. And so we may not have sorcerers on our street corners, but you and I can both agree that there are people in this world, in our nation, that have great power, where you watch them do what they do, and you're like, I, I can't even comprehend that. An easy one is just athletes, you know? And I'm sure he was possibly probably doing far greater things than that. But there's people that have great power in our world, and as a result, have tons of influence, And unfortunately for Simon, though, his clientele begins to to wane and subside because, again, Philip's ministry is growing. And the people that were once following Simon and paying money, he had a profession out of this, the people that were once paying him to do what he did were now going to Philip because they saw a drastic and striking difference between the miracles and message of Simon and the miracles and message of Philip. Philip. Philip's miracles and messages all pointed to someone else. They all pointed to God. And they all pointed to the gospel, the good news, that we could have salvation. He he pointed to God who would then benefit them by way of a right relationship with God. Whereas Simon, on the flip side, all of his miracles and messages pointed back to him. With a direct deposit option to his banking account. And so the question then is, who are you being pointed to in your life? Regardless of whether you've really thought about it like this, every single one of us are being pointed to something by the influences that are in our lives, literally by who we follow, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, who we surround ourselves, friends, coworkers, what we're doing on the weekends, what we're reading, what we're watching. And far too many times we allow influence into our life, that is in complete opposition to the life that God has for us. We allow influences into our life that are in complete opposition to the health of your marriage, to your mental health and operation, to the future of your children. And then what happens, if you're like me, you finally arrive to the destination of where those influences were pointing, and you go, "How did this happen?" Where did, where did I go wrong? Who are you being pointed to? The message of Philip and the message of the gospel is so irresistible that even the great and powerful Simon just had to have it. And in verse 13, we see that Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went and was amazed by the signs and great miracles that Philip performed. And so then, word spreads back to Jerusalem where Peter and John are. They get word that there's been a uh, somewhat of a revival happening in Samaria... And they send word, and they say, you bring Peter and John here. So Peter and John schedule uh, an impromptu trip to go back to Samaria and see what's up. And as they get there, they find believers, but they find believers who are not yet filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And at this time, I'm calling a timeout. I'm going to invite you into the classroom for a second. So you kind of sit down. If I had a chair, I'd put one leg up, and I'd say, okay, let's talk about this. Because this is kind of a hard scripture. And to be completely honest, this like set my message prep up back hours Okay, This whole concept that we found a people that believed in Jesus, they had been baptized, they had accepted him, but they were not yet filled with the Holy Spirit. And after reading as many commentaries as I could and listening to all the pastors and theologians that I personally adhere to and respect, this is, this is where I land. The Samaritans in this situation, in this particular situation, and I emphasize that because of this, is that Many interpreters believe that this is not a normative occurrence here. This is not meant to be considered prescription. If you've read the Bible long enough, you you read one thing and it's like, this is how God works. And then we try to apply it to our lives and we see an inconsistency with it. And we're like, but that's what you did back then. That doesn't mean that's how he's going to do it now. And so these Samaritans in this situation had made a human act of will by believing the gospel message, but they had not yet received the real identifiable experience with the living God. And I want to dive a little bit deeper in here. You okay if we go to a little, little bit deeper? Okay, cool. Hope I'm not losing you. Okay. The reason why that this, this could be that God restrained the Holy Spirit from them is because Samaria and the Jews that were following Jesus at our time were not cool. They were not friends. There are are a couple stories in in the New Testament where Jesus says, let's go through Samaria, and all of his disciples are like, no, let's go around to get to their destination, which would actually entail them going hundreds and hundreds of miles. They did not like the Samaritans. And so Peter and John had to go there in order to lay their hands on them so that the Holy Spirit could be empowered into them. Showing unity in the church at a time that the church needed unity so very bad. That's what I've got, okay? If you still got questions, which you probably do, you can email me. Okay, my email is J-A-C-K-Y at adventurechurch.tv. Alright, time in. So Peter and John get there. They 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 see the need, they lay their hands on the Samaritans, they pray with them, the Samaritans receive the Holy Spirit in such a way that the Simon, the sorcerer, is blown away. There was some evidence here. He saw some change, some alteration, some real identifiable proof that the Spirit of God had filled these new believers and Simon just had to have it. He goes, wow, I like this new trick. I like that. And so he approaches Peter and John and says, I am willing to pay you whatever you want. I just want that power. I too want to go and lay my hands on people so that they can also be filled with the Holy Spirit. How thoughtful of him. How selfless. Here's what, what I want to get at today. Simon, believe it or not, is a pretty accurate picture of you and me. And you're going, what? <laughs> call me a sorcerer. No, no, no. I'm not getting at that. Let me me divulge. Simon was a man that had power and ability, and he knew how to leverage his power and abilities for his personal gain. Does that kind of resonate with us at all? I mean, isn't that what we struggle with on a daily basis? Isn't that what has plagued us since birth, looking for whoever and whatever we can find to create the life that we want might surprise you, but uh, I'll go ahead and use this as my own confessional, that as a pastor and all the servant things that I am a part of, that I, too, wrestle with this battle every day of seeing things and constantly trying to, to gain whatever grip I can in order to create happiness and well-being, and it's just all about me. Somebody's saying, get that guy off the stage. <laughs> Simon defaults to what comes natural to him. And so as he comes face to face with unlimited potential by way of the Holy Spirit being empowered to the Samaritans, he defaults to what he's always done. And he approaches the Holy Spirit with an approach that would seek to leverage the power of the Holy Spirit for his own personal gain. Blinded by his own selfishness, Simon approaches the Holy Spirit as a power that could be purchased and possessed rather than a person that wants relationship with him, that wants to walk with him and give power to him. I've got two takeaways for today, and I believe that if we can take these takeaways, these truths, and... and in some way, even just scratch the surface of applying them to our approach and how we approach the Holy Spirit, I really do believe that it's going to blow things up, and I mean that in the best way possible. The first thing that I've got for us is this, is that the Holy Spirit is a person who has power. Deep, I know. The Holy Spirit is a person who has power. Like Simon, we crave and want power so bad. And sometimes we even have like halfway honorable reasons for wanting such power. Did you notice like what what Simon wanted to use it for? Like, I mean like pay no attention to the fact that he probably wanted to market it and make just a fortune on it. But I, I just, you know, give me this. Give me this power so that I too can allow people to experience the Holy Spirit. I'll pay whatever. I mean, isn't that what we teach, right? You've got to pay the cost. Here he is willing to pay a price for this power. Here he is willing to to have it so that he can help others. Man, don't we do that. God, if you just enable me to do this, you know I just want to help. I just want to help people. And all the while, we objectify the Holy Spirit. And I want to be very, very clear that when we objectify the Holy Spirit, we try to leverage him for his, his power, we miss out on the primary reason that God sent the Holy Spirit was that so that we could walk in relationship with God. So that we, just like Galatians 5.25 says, so that we could walk step by step with the Spirit. And as you and I both know, it's hard to have a healthy relationship when you objectify the other person. Doesn't go well. Not going to have a whole lot of success in that area. Jackie and I are, are engaged, which means she still has an out. Um, and she'd probably, she'd probably contemplate it if, if, if our conversation looked something like this. If she were to text me and say, um, yeah, hey, babe, you know, because we got, we got, you know, names. You know what I'm saying? Hey, babe, how was your day? Miss you. And I were to respond, Yeah, fine. Can you drop off dinner? I'm working late. Ah, man, I don't know if that's really going to be all too good for us. Or if she were to to say to me, You know, do you think that we go on a, a lunch date tomorrow? I really would love to spend some time with you. And I respond, Yeah, that's fine, but do we have to talk? if you could grab the tab, that would, be, that would be great. I'm not about to write a marriage or relationship book, but I think I know better. So why do we think that that's okay with God? Why do we think that that type of, uh, I don't know if it's a word, objectification? I don't have my walking vocabulary book with me why do we think that it's okay to treat him like that if god had a cell phone and we were able to call him how comical our conversations would be with him yeah hey it's me jake i've got a problem could you fix this all right thanks yeah dear god you are so powerful if you could just you know give me a little bit of of grace in this area okay great Why do we think that that is okay with the God that created us, that sent his son to die on a cross for us and then sends his Holy Spirit so that he could be present in us? Why do we think that he does not want companionship with us? Because to me, it would seem that since the beginning of time, he has been trying to prove a point that he wants us, that he wants relationship with us, that he wants to talk with us, that he wants to walk with us. And yet... We just, I just want your power, God. I really just want you to show up, God. Just do this, do that. Second thing I want to show here is that the Holy Spirit's power is synonymous with influence. The Holy Spirit's power is synonymous with influence. In Ephesians 5, 18, Paul makes a really weird uh, compare and contrast statement. He He says this. He says, don't be drunk with wine, which leads to horrible things and debauchery and all this type of evil, but rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. And for the longest time, I'm like, what? Like, to me, that'd be like you as a parent saying to your son and daughter, like, you know, stop hitting, you know, your, your sibling. Instead, go eat macaroni and cheese. It's just like, okay? Like, right? But as you begin to look at all the ways that the Holy Spirit gifts us, empowers us, walks with us, there is an... <laughs> unrefutable theme of influence. We often like to think of the Holy Spirit as one that gives us abilities, but the greatest power is that he influences us. And so to reread Paul's statement there with that understanding, it would be as if he was saying, don't get drunk on wine, but... In the same way that that liquor content in your bloodstream would totally change who you are, the decisions that you make, I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you have such great influence in your life. I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit in such a way that nothing that you do is going without His, 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 His direction, without His guidance. I want you to be so submerged in the Holy Spirit's presence so that you don't have to walk all the time aimlessly wondering, what should I do with my life? How should I respond to this? Oh, if we could get the Holy Spirit's influence in our life and stop just seeking Him for abilities and and powers and all that. And the problem is that we see here is the reason why it's so hard to, to receive that influence is because in order to receive that influence, we would then have to trade back our control. And that's so hard. In America, it might be the hardest because we have such an overwhelming illusion of control. You see what's happening in the world today? I mean, just, just you know, in the last few days, we see this hurricane come wiping through, destroying people's livelihood hives lost. No control. But it's pretty easy for us to kick up our feet on our coffee table and think that we've got a bearing. Think that we actually like, have a grip on something. And so therefore we have a really, really hard time giving control to the God that created us and yet we get in a car every single day and get on 270 during rush hour. Like, Tell me how much control you feel with all that that's going around you. want to realize how little control you have? Get in a relationship. All my married folk would say, get married. And then my married folk would say, have kids. And God will give you perfect illustrations that you and I have very, very little control. So then my question is, who better of all the things that we lend ourselves to on a daily basis, unknowingly and totally naive, who better to give up control to the God again who created us, to the God that loves us, to a God that sends his presence and the Holy Spirit to empower us, who better to hand everything over and just say, take it! God, oh God, I want you! I don't want your power, I want your presence, I want who you are! I want your influence. I want to walk with you in such a way that I'm, I'm, I'm going eyes back and forth. Is this cool? Is this cool? Is this what you want for me? I'm not going to leave you a voicemail saying, hey God, I need some answers, but I'm going to get there and I'm going to stay there until you show me what your will is, until you show me what you want for me because you want to know what God, I've, I've learned this and I continue to learn it the hard way, but my way is not the best way. I don't know why I keep needing to learn it, but it's not. So God, oh would you, would you show me what your way is? Oh, God, that's so confusing. God, I don't understand that. Because I'm God, I created the universe. Do you know how that happened? No, I don't. Okay, then just stick with me. Okay. You are all questioning my sanity right now. As we stand today and and we get into a time of worship, stand with me, we're going to seek the Lord. We're going to seek more of who he is. We're going to approach him as a person. We're going to ask for for more of of however he wants to show himself and reveal himself and influence us with. I want to challenge you with a a quote. It's one of my favorite quotes of all time, and it's definitely my favorite quote by C.S. Lewis. You may have never heard of him, but he wrote the books that then became the movies The Chronicles of Narnia. Brilliant dude. Atheist. Grew up in a Christian family. Lost his mom to cancer. Got bitter. Turned the entire other way and just, God just wouldn't let him go. And he says this, he says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased we can't even imagine whatever expectations you have of the Holy Spirit and what he could do in your life man they are so low and God is not intimidated by our request for more today here at Adventure Church God's not looking at him we're like God we want more of you and he's going um uh, I, I, let me figure this out I don't know how to he's, he's not scared there's no question. The only question lies, are we going to give him the room to work? I think it's so. it's so funny, like, how we, we have, our hands are so full of all the control and all the things that we're trying to, to do in our lives, and we see the Holy Spirit, and we view him as a supplement. And we're like, well, just throw that up on top. And he's like, no, no, no. You're going to need to empty your hands for this one. Our prayer team is gonna make their way to the back, and I would challenge you this: is if at any given moment you are like, "Man, I want more of God's work in my life. I want more of His presence. I want to understand Him," and he's like, "I don't know how to get there." I would challenge you: would you go pray with them? Like, they're not they're not gonna do anything crazy, weird, anything, but they're gonna pray for you, and I think that's really, really cool. I think it's awesome how there is an opportunity to come together again drawing back to that earlier illustration to be unified in our desire and that's what we're doing today lord we give you control god we're trying to give you control father help us god as we just try to get out of the way and give you room to work you're a person and so we approach you as a person we don't want your power we want you lord Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord.